0: Hey guys, welcome back to Pop Culture Confidential. I'm Christina Beater. I hope you're having a good week. I just wanted to start by saying thanks to all of you that sent such great feedback after my conversation with David Sedaris last week. I had such a blast talking to him and I really want to thank you for reaching out about it. I so much appreciate it. So another great part of my work week was that I saw the film Us. Now this is Jordan Peele's follow-up to his incredible Oscar-winning horror film Get Out. And just like everyone else seems to have been doing, I've been thinking and talking about Us for days. I've been going through the theories, the meanings, and the twists and cannot get it out of my mind. The movie is basically a home invasion horror film, but at the same time, it delves deep into the dark underbelly of the American conscious. It's about the privileged and the dispossessed. Now, who really is the villain here? And if you mix in Peele's great comedy background and seemingly huge love for popular culture, Us is a film like nothing I've ever seen before. And Peel has surrounded himself with incredible talent, both on the production side and the acting side. And for me, the editing was really innovative, quite a feat with all these different themes going on. It's an eclectic mix of home invasion horror, doppelgangers. It's an array of horror genre cues like 70s psychological horror, Friedkin's Exorcist, slasher films, and even Korean horror. The music and sound editing is quite something. So Us film editor Nicholas Monsour has worked with Peel before on Keanu, the last OG, and he was nominated for an Emmy for his work on the comedy show Key and Peel. Monsour has also worked on HBO's docuseries Witness and on the show Drunk History. He's versed in film theory and worked on experimental films while studying film and theater in Chicago. And all this background seems to have been the perfect mix for Us. It was so interesting to talk to Nicholas about his work on the film. From the references that he looked at when he started the project, like all the doppelganger films he could think of, the films of David Lynch and even Bergman influenced us. The interesting work of the doubles in this movie and working with the actors, horror genre tropes and editing to scare, and of course, bringing to light all those deeper psychological meanings and themes in the movie of trauma, race, and class. Plus, Nicholas helps me unravel some of the most far-out theories that fans have had. It was great fun. A note here, though. This talk is full of spoilers. We dive deep, so you've been warned. Now, Us tells the story of Adelaide Wilson, a mother and wife who, at the beginning of the film, has a horrible, traumatic childhood experience at an amusement park. Cut to the present day, when Adelaide, her husband Gabe, and two kids are off on summer vacation to the same area where she had this experience. Here, they are trapped in their home by four invaders, identical versions of themselves, dressed in red jumpsuits with golden scissors. The Tethered, they are called. Adelaide's twin, in an incredible double performance by Lupita Nyong'o, tells that they are shadows, living underground in a life of misery, tethered to the doubles above. They have a score to settle.
1: That's
0: a classic right
1: there. What does I got five on it mean? It's about drugs. It's not about drugs. It's a dope song. Don't do drugs. Get in rhythm. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Can't believe how big Dave got. Did <laughs> you hear Gabe got a boat? He's kidding, right? He's not kidding. Hey, I think it's vodka clock. Oh, yeah. Where's Jason? Jason? Jason! Where were you? I didn't know if you were lost. Stick with me, and I'll keep you
0: safe. There's a family in our driveway.
2: It's probably the neighbors. But y'all scared of a family?
1: Hi, right, can I help you? Zora. Put your shoes on. If you want to get crazy, we can get crazy.
0: What are you people? It's us. I talked to editor Nicholas Monsour from Los Angeles and I had to ask him about one of the many, many fan theories that I've read circling around there in the ether. This theory was from a fan who's identified a moment in the film where we may be getting a big clue that Adelaide is probably not who we think she is. One of the crazy theories on the internet that I read, <laughs> or, or it may mm-hmm. not be crazy, that that's why I'm asking you, is that at one point you, um, one of the um, people who've written thousands of theories about it, said that they mm-hmm. noticed that Adelaide was a uh, had switched because in the car the first time that they listened to. I put five on it. When she turns yeah. around to her son, she and asks yes. him to get into rhythm. That she's she doesn't. That she's really bad at holding the rhythm. <laughs> Is that? Tr- Did you-
2: <laughs> well, I'll say this. Okay. I don't want to shut down anybody's theories because I, you know, that's that's a huge part of it. Jordan's films are meant to be dialogues with an audience and what an audience brings to it. I I think that particular theory emerged in Mm -hmm. response to the trailer and the trailer was not, that's something that uh, the universal marketing makes. Oh, so you didn't edit that
0: is what you're saying? Makes. (laughs) Okay.
2: I didn't edit that. I like to think if I had the rhythm would not have been (laughs) suspect.
0: (laughs) So it's not Lupita that can't keep the beat.
2: (laughs) No, that's not Lupita. And yeah. And I, I don't I don't think she was thrilled about that, (laughs) but because that's yeah, that wasn't her so that I you know, I think some of these things are just the reality of uh, how trailers are made and stuff. But um, perfectly interesting theory. I to me, the most interesting thing about the narrative twist is that it's uh, in a way a twist about a metaphor becoming literal, not necessarily just a detective story about whodunit and um uh
0: well i think you answered that very (laughs) well (laughs) we got it um us is not only a horror movie it's a social commentary it's comedy it's experimental it's a movie that really seems to take into consideration how sophisticated moviegoers are today when jordan peele first approached you with this idea how did he present it to you what was his focus
2: Well, I think if you've seen the movie or heard Jordan speak about it, he is definitely interested in giving an audience an experience that is rich in interpretations. And he treated his collaborators in much the same way. So I I read it without knowing anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, uh, Just that he... I I sort of knew the time frame of when he had been writing it and I had heard little things about what he was thinking about but on it was it was mostly a cold read and I read it and then we spoke about it right after and he sort of just wanted to know my thoughts and ideas to begin with I read it fairly cold and you know had a lot as close to an experience that I think Viewers have when watching it of thinking, oh my, is he saying this? Is he saying this? And is it? Was he thinking about this idea or this? Yeah, you're the lucky
0: one. The rest of us are like, what's with the rabbits? (laughs) 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 You actually got to sit there and ask him all these questions.
2: He he invites input, and once he writes it, I think he is interested in collaborating with the other people he works with, the other actors the heads of his department and while the core of the movie definitely stayed the same I could see it going through a bit of a process of collaboration as pre-production happened and production happened certain ideas became clarified or organically kind of changed a, li- a little bit as he worked with the other artists he works with I was very excited when reading it that it it kind of did what I wanted (laughs) from the next Jordan Peele project which was take a lot of ideas that he had been working with in Get Out and even in some sketches and that he had written and just took it further than I'd seen him go
0: right
2: uh in with
0: it. That's one of the things I've heard you say sort of paraphrasing what I think you said is that when you work with him like on Key and Peele there's a lot of discussions around sort of fairly juvenile comedy but that's mixed in with deep politics and philosophy and social issues and that's very cool. Yeah
2: I, I think like with a lot of my favorite artists and writers I, I don't think he thinks about a a division between high culture, low culture, uh, or anything like that. I think he's interested in culture, and he's interested in a cultural conversation, and he recognizes that his audience, that an audience comes from with all different types of backgrounds. I think he gives the audience a lot of credit that, you know, they might be thinking about uh, other genre films they've seen other pop cultural references as well as very deep political or psychological ideas and so i think it all gets mixed up in a really fascinating right. way
0: which is the best best popular cultures is, is like that so getting into us now now he's given you you've read it cold and you had all these questions but personally what what kind of reference research did you do when you got started
2: place i like to start is really intuitively and just think think or watch things and read things that it just reminds me of that i don't even try and understand why it reminds me of it but so some some of the things i watched you might think well how does that have anything <laughs> to do with us but um i do i mean the obvious stuff i looked at first was because i knew it would be a challenge and an interesting area to step into is, is the doppelganger storyline and so i watched pretty much everything i could think of mm-hmm. <laughs> that had the same actor playing multiple parts um so from adaptation to david Cronenberg's dead ringers or the twilight zone episode that jordan has mentioned called mirror mirror a lot of those as well as some of Basically, all the things I've found most terrifying in film, um, I, I I personally find some of David Lynch's work to be oh yeah the most deeply terrifying. I don't know that he doesn't work in the same way of jump scares or monsters, but he will create scenarios and imagery that sticks with me for months, and that I'm I'm fascinated with how filmmakers are able to to do that as well as I'd say films that I really appreciate the the way in which psychology is manipulated in very subtle ways because those techniques are fascinating to me too and get very and the editing is very involved in that a filmmaker that I I think about Pretty much on everything I do is uh Argentinian filmmaker named Lucretia Martel
1: mm-hmm. who
2: the way she works with sound is very celebrated and I think extremely effective and I you know, they're in ways that I don't see a lot of Hollywood films even attempting. I think of a movie of hers called The Headless Woman where There's a scene in a uh, bedroom where the sound of a fluorescent light is somehow extremely terrifying and trying to figure out what it is, what's the soundscape that you're in and why does that, why do those techniques affect you watching it the way they do Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. you were mentioning the doubling of the characters Um, now this must have been a particularly you know big part of your work in the editing room could you could you break that down a bit how did this work in terms of the actors the special effects and then in in your for you guys in the editing
2: they were the jordan and the production team were Exceedingly well prepared They had shot listed And storyboarded With Mike Geolakis, the DP With Grady Cofer, The visual effects supervisor From Industrial Light and Magic And with Lupita and the other actors Had really Had a very solid Concept of uh, Of how each scene would be Approached in the filming And how to get the material We would need not just for you know the 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 smartest <laughs> the smartest directors know that as much as they think they know exactly the movie in their head <laughs> you have to capture some options while you're while you have the production up and running you have the sets built you have the actors because your ideas will change a little mm-hmm. bit in the editing room so they were very well prepared to very technically you know they used photo doubles as well as stunt doubles so that if there needed to be a shot where you saw the bodies of a doppelganger pair in the same shot, they had all the lighting references they needed uh, to, to do a face replace or we did a lot of split screens. But the truth was that they've overprepared so much we were able we had the material to do a visual effect anytime we needed and it ended up not being necessary as much as we thought Wow! in that the performances were so convincing that I think most of the time we realized that nobody's even worrying about do I believe that these are two separate characters in the same room so we don't need to sell it that hard we were ready to put them both in almost every shot, but it ended up not being really necessary, and we could cut it in a lot of ways the way we would any other scene. And that's a testament to the actors more than anything, in that they were so prepared and so thoughtful about their performances that I could i could I was able to cut a dialogue scene between. Say Lupita playing two parts in much the way I would cut a dialogue scene with two different actors where they are actually responding to each other in real time. Mm -hmm. She had internalized her own characters so deeply that she was working, she had rhythms in her head that she then acted out for both sides, and they work.
1: They think like us. They know where we are. We need to move and keep moving. They won't stop until they kill us. So we kill them. <laughs>
0: So I'm a huge horror fan, but maybe more of the sort of psychological, you know, mm-hmm. Friedkin type of thing. Um, so so yes. um, I'm not that great on the slasher jump scare. So if, excuse me if I've missed things <laughs> that have happened in the past few years. But I feel like this movie, one of the coolest things is that the, there's not really a lot of jump scares because they're already in the frame. You're like, we, the audience are seeing them in the doorway and then we're like, <laughs> um yes you, you if you know what i mean that, that 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 it's very slow and i really appreciated that can and was that something you thought about in in the editing
2: Absolutely and it's something Jordan thought about and Mike the dp thought about it in the lighting and the the way they staged scenes as well i it, i could feel a bit of a Picking up of some of the traditions of, like you mentioned, 70s psychological horror and, uh, like, Friedkin or... Right. And even some kind of Hitchcock-like techniques. Um, or, I, you know, I think of some, even some Bergman films, which were some I watched as well. Like which Through ones Glass... did you watch, Bert? <laughs> Well, Through a Glass Darkly, I think, was a, a big one. Um, I Basically, those... The idea of horror and horrific feelings emerging from a quiet room with a couple of characters in them is something that Bergman was able to do and even imply very deep uh, supernatural concepts, but with very little evidence of it on screen. And that's a kind of magic I, I know we were interested in in attempting to capture and uh that has to do with music and pacing and performance and writing but uh in terms of the jump scares or not uh yeah i i don't think he wasn't interested in referencing maybe all those movies or doing an homage but i think there was a and kubrick also i think and, Seeing the the project of those filmmakers, and I think that's very similar in a lot of ways to what Jordan is trying to do and it's also an era in of filmmaking globally in which some of the most talented filmmakers were working in what you would call genre right. and um, in very individualized ways and artistic ways
0: I mean the scariest thing in 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 as well not the scariest thing, but one of them is just sort of that it is so slow that the family is just standing in the driveway that they can like, I mean, normally you look out the window once and they're there and then you look out the window. Oh my God, they're gone. And you're like, Oh, they're all over the house, (laughs) but they're still there. And then they're still there. And that's like, that was, that was what I thought was incredibly interesting.
2: As yeah. As did I. And I think um, Jordan is in a way, a, a much, he's sort of the most omnivorous viewer of horror I know and so I think he had a very good sense of maybe what audiences have seen enough of for a minute <laughs> and mm-hmm. maybe what he's more interested in getting into. I, you know, we we talked about a lot of Asian horror films as well, South Korean and Japanese horror, right. which I think are also very good, can be some very good examples of other methods of of being terrifying other than just the physical scare.
0: And then there's that incredible dance sequence between the two, um, uh, Lupita Nyong'o's character and, and her tether, um, which is really so poetic and, 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 and reminds me of many of those movies that you were referencing before in the 70s. But um, tell me a little bit about, I understand that the music changed.
2: Um, so with that dance sequence, we tried so many things because the footage was very rich to me. I think it was a very unique opportunity to do to work with a type of filmmaking that is most often abstract in terms of dance film or m- more kinetic experimental film that's more about movement or or rhythm and Yet we were able to, uh, because of the story, bring to that more abstract imagery and technique a whole character story and narrative that and world of ideas that are already loaded into those images. Um, so it was a really fun. I, I I've said it already, but I I just I can't quite imagine a, a sequence being more fun to edit than.
0: <laughs> no, I can't.
2: <laughs> So yeah, the music went through a lot of variations, but it always stayed very much. I think it, if anything, in the and something I really love about editing, editing and why it stays creative and isn't just putting together the pieces that they shoot and plan, and is that you can write and shoot something, and then when you watch it in context from the beginning of the movie, and you hit that point that you're now working on it feels different than, than when you thought about it. And so I think that it always, I think where where it ended up was based on what worked at that moment in the film. And still, you know, it, it stayed very close to what Jordan was always going for, I right. think.
0: But. but I mean, basically what I, what I read was that it was one iteration was um, Tchaikovsky and then it ended up being this orchestration of I've got five on it, mm-hmm. which really tied everything together so neatly and and, yeah, and well, became that pop cultural reference that wouldn't have been if it continued to be the Nutcracker or whatever.
2: <laughs> I can see, yeah, I can see what you mean. I, but I guess from my point of view, it was very much the same process as any other scene where the Tchaikovsky version, that is the that was the reality in the in the movie was these uh, two young g- girls are dancing to are performing a dance to a Tchaikovsky piece to the pot de of the Nutcracker and so sort of like you would start with I don't know say a dialogue scene in a certain location the place you start let say it was in a dance club the place you would start is well it's a dance club so there's gonna be dance music playing right and then you might realize that doesn't actually emotionally work in the scene so maybe that should fade down and score should take over so it felt very similar to this kind of decision you'd make in any scene where you start with the reality and then maybe you can you you change it from there for what works emotionally the best um but I will say one one thing I'm looking forward to is uh, we did they did film the full and choreograph a full dance to both for both of those performers to do and and we are we ju- I just edited that together for the Blu-ray special oh, features. Cool. So if you see that, you'll be able to see the full uncut Tchaikovsky dance, which is equally beautiful, but. Uh, in the context of the film, didn't make sense to show right, the entire right. thing.
0: That that I can't wait to see that. And I understand that the the corridors of the tunnels there were modeled after North Korean shopping malls in the '80s. They must have been so dreary. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's honestly one of the coolest sets I've ever set foot on. And I, you know, I started as a PA in production and uh, on some pretty large hollywood movies and uh, that was one of the coolest sets i've ever just in terms of feeling completely transported even though you're knowing you know you're in a you know sound stage on universal um right, right. really immersive and yeah ruth dijon De- did an amazing job on the production design i think
0: So we've been talking a little bit about all those horror tropes, but getting into the other incredible part of this movie is that these meanings that we're all trying to figure out that Jordan Peele and and you guys are building a story that, you know, sort of maybe about the privileged and and those who Mm -hmm. feel left out and the dispossessed. And and how did you work in terms of editing with that part of the story?
2: I think I can say I'm the most interested in films that are open to interpretation, but but are very intentional in terms of the range of interpretations that they present. So, while well, I think the film attempts to retain, allow the viewer a, a, the ability to continue to think about it during the movie and after the movie and come up with different possibilities. I think it's within a range of possibilities and so it still has a political standpoint and it still has a social message, but Within that, I think you're able to continue to think about it critically, and so it doesn't prescribe one allegory in in any right. way. I don't think, um, although I think some people are certain it does because <laughs> they're certain their reading of it is correct. But, but that's what makes um, it so
0: great that it's open to interpretation. <laughs> it does.
2: And it's something that, you know, a lot of filmmakers I really respect or even writers and other artists talk about. It's something David Lynch talks about, which is if you really go deep in your creative process and you are, and you are tapping into images that really move you and excite you very often those will be ones that are very difficult to actually
1: explain
2: and and if you can keep that and and transfer that to an audience I think that's that's a really fascinating process and I know that we were careful and I, I was you know in a way I often feel sort of this responsibility to footage knowing how much work how difficult the emotional work especially in a film like this where Lupita is carrying the the film from scene to scene with these two different characters the ima- how difficult that work is that she did of inhabiting those emotions. When I get that footage, I, it feels sort of sacred to me mm-hmm. <laughs> and I want to make sure that that psychology I'm not messing up in the editing of it or you know jumping from ener- the, from one energy to another that just happened because, we decided to cut out a line in between two lines. And so uh, we were very careful to make sure that the film, I think worked on all those levels of character psychology, because I think those are the things that carry and a viewer, allow a viewer to stay immersed in a film. And the level on which this is a story about a person who had a trauma in their childhood and then that trauma continues to affect them and their family through into adulthood and they have to deal with that and go back into a darker part of their past and deal with it that was a level that we really wanted to make sure the movie worked on mm-hmm. purely psychologically and purely emotionally in terms of that character's journey cuz that because that would allow an audience to stay invested in the story and then still think about all of the other levels of meaning.
0: Well, this may be a weirdly sort of specific question. I'm, I'm thinking like sure. really that in, in this example, one of the, Questions that we've all had that have seen is like, who is the villain here? It's not sure. We don't know. I mean, that's one of the mm-hmm. really interesting discussions of, of who who is the villain. So I'm thinking in a, in a more traditional horror movie, you would know who the villains are. So you would do a jump cut where they come in and they just fly on you with a knife or whatever. But here, mm-hmm. when you have this type of question, can you make like a, could you give an example like a specific editor cut where you're keeping that sort of secret if you know what i mean
2: in a weird way what we're doing is making sure that it was there the whole time Mm -hmm. that there was not that you could if you could hear the internal monologue of any of the characters in any moment it would you would understand what was happening and it's only if the characters themselves are being mysterious or hiding something from themselves or other people that you know that's where the mystery is coming from so in a weird way, we weren't trying to hide anything and we weren't trying to, it, it was more a matter of telling a compelling story. And so, I, you know, I think about a moment like, <laughs> that I think a lot of people have mentioned as a moment when they think, wait a second, what's happening in this movie or what's happening with this character is when Lupita, or as Adelaide, when they're at their friend's and neighbor's house, the Tyler's, when she goes back in to get the car keys when they're trying to leave and has to confront one of the (laughs) doppelgangers in the house and you know uh she makes she (laughs) she takes care of business Mm. and her son witnesses her murdering someone and that's a moment that's extremely loaded psychologically in terms of that uh, a moment of seeing your parents do something as a child that you don't understand yet or seeing, seeing your family in a different way as well as the experience of being a parent and exposing, or I, I don't know, I guess, yeah. Losing some of the, <laughs> but, yeah, just being fully unmasked in a right, way right. in front of your, in, in front of a loved one. So, and that, that is a moment where, on a second viewing (laughs) means something very different and you understand what's happening in a very different way but it's there it's on screen the whole time
0: yeah she also worked so well with the sound there because she was making completely different guttural noises (laughs) Um, which where you're sort of like hmm
2: which in a way I think you know is something I really and here's a big, big spoiler alert Mm -hmm. but I do think in a way The twist of this movie isn't a twist in terms of oh my god there's a plot revelation that now i understand everything different that happens but i think what's more interesting is that the revelation is that what you've been thinking about metaphorically like maybe we're all the monster maybe we all have a monster within us becomes literal in the twist.
0: But did you do, I mean, in terms of script, I understand how, how you know, one could compose that everyone's a villain, everyone's the monster, um, uh-huh. these two. But it, really and technically, did you guys like do something where they're always lit the same or this, the we edit it this way to sort of make it feel seamless that there are no differences between these two really? that's an
2: interesting question uh i know that lupita and jordan certainly did that but i think one thing jordan did is he gave along with this sort of world building he did of having he has explanations that aren't necessarily all in the film of where this world came from who made it and how did it get this way and it's 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 a version of our world, but some things are made more literal. Some things are tweaked and um, distorted, but it, it's, you know, like a funhouse version of, of our world. So, and that allowed the actors, I think, because if they had a question, he had an answer and, uh, or he uh, came up with one with them and that allowed them to play those characters with a full backstory and history. So um, again, spoilers, but, when you if you look at you know a moment where Winston Duke's doppelganger character of Abraham is able to put on a pair of glasses for the first time right once you know where they came from and again on second viewing that moment is actually quite sad (laughs) and poignant and if you if you think about somebody deprived of the ability to get A pair of glasses who can't see, or if you think of Elizabeth Moss's doppelganger character, you know she's able to look in a mirror and put on makeup for the first time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's actually a very poignant, tragic moment, but also works as something terrifying or that, and that that I think is such a a humanistic thing that Jordan brought to. The horror genre which is these things that appear monstrous often are or scary are often scary because maybe we don't want to sympathize with that person there's some we have a resistance to thinking they have a reason doesn't maybe justify what they're doing but at least for themselves they have a reason for what they're doing
0: right yeah i mean if you haven't had health care and haven't been able to have glasses you're going to be pissed off (laughs) I mean, yeah, if we just put it <laughs> <lightly>. <laughs> but what's interesting, too, is also that there's then there's the scene after the family has confronted several of them. mean, and the children as well have, have killed mm-hmm. several of them when they get into the car again. They're sort of counting. I killed this many and I killed this. So they're, you know, they're getting violent, too. And suddenly that's a cool th- I mean, it, it, it changes everybody.
2: It's true. And, you know, in in that in every screening I've seen of the film with public audiences or test screen people are laughing through that scene as well when they're talking about you know I killed myself and Josh so mm-hmm. I'm ahead uh, and I if you <laughs> think about it, there's some pretty terrifying ideas in that it is um, as well wh- and I think some of that laughter comes from a kind of nervousness or awareness that there there is something kind of troubling going on but then uh, it, and I'm, I'll go out on a limb and just say that a whole lot of American popular entertainment is either <laughs> very often una- unaware of the fact that it's asking a viewer to sympathize with somebody doing very morally questionable things. The amount of police shows we have in this country, or really, I, I think globally, but or, and, and I think it's very telling politically – how much how much ethical deviation are you willing to accept from your protagonist and still sympathize with them and I'm often astounded. I'm taken out of films all the time once somebody decides they need to torture someone. I say, I'm out. You know, I don't, I can no longer sympathize with this person. Yet the show is asking me to, or the movie is asking me to. There are many films that can and stories that very didactically deal with the ideas of class and the intersection of class and race. And I think Jordan gives us the opportunity to not ignore it. And deal with it, but not have to be lectured about it.
0: Finally, sort of rounding off here. What would you say, in, in terms of this film in particular, for you was the most challenging?
2: Well, um, the truth is, it was just really an insane amount of fun. Um, I, I think the challenges are the 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 kinds that are most fun to me which is I don't have any excuse uh I can't blame (laughs) I can't blame the material if something isn't working (laughs) so the challenge is um
0: don't fuck it up
2: yeah basically (laughs) not fuck it up and also uh try and retain the depth and you know when when finding a musical direction to to go in in a scene or uh, a pace to not over to not again narrow that range of possible readings and not uh, prevent deeper levels of thinking about it by putting a score that tells you exactly how to feel at a certain moment that that does that or um makes you sympathize with one character over another when what's most interesting is that you don't know who to sympathize with. Mm-hmm. So I think it was the, the, the most fun challenge was maintaining the depth of the material, even though we're also trying to take an audience on a ride and uh, have it be fun to watch and entertaining to talk about afterwards
0: thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it and again congratulations on this movie it was so interesting to hear you talk about you know the references and all these things and 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 it really though pop culture should be made
2: thank you so much it's it's uh continually fascinating to me to hear the responses from people um after it being you know just in our heads for <laughs> a year
0: right
2: uh yeah i love Love to hear how it's being received uh, all over the world. It's pretty crazy. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much to Nicholas Mansour. Us is out in theaters everywhere. And thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please keep sending me that feedback on the show. I really appreciate it. You can send it through Twitter, at PodPopCulture, or on my Twitter, at Christina Biro. This show was edited by Catherine Lundell and I'm Christina Biro. See you next week!